and uh, some of the Indians will accuse you of being a sellout uh, and a babu and an imitation Englishman. So, but you must carry on with this effort because it's really worthwhile. Orwell said, in my, he said, in my opinion, the time is coming when Indian writing in English will become a major literary category. It will come. It is, the audience for it is there. The ideas, the experience, the interaction, the mutual intercourse, they're all there. Why don't you become a pioneer of this? And don't worry that people will misrepresent you. It came back to me, this letter, when I saw the um, collection of Indian writing in English, a very important and beautiful edition and anthology of this, edited by Salman, I think about three or four years ago, um, in which I was delighted to see that the oldest living person, he was then living, cited in this anthology, was Mulk Raj Anand. And, of course, any of you, many of you perhaps haven't heard of Anand, but any of you who've been into any literate or worthwhile bookstore in the last few years would be able yourselves to name innumerable Indian writers or writers of Indian origin writing in English who've created what is already a very imperishable and challenging literature. Uh, I could mention some of the names myself. Um, I actually would prefer to start with R.K. Narayan, but everyone would know Arundhati Roy, for example, or... Um, uh, shall we say, uh, actually, I'm just going to forget his name. He lives in Canada. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> it's, an odd, it's an odd name, and I had it a second ago. Um, you see, I don't uh, over-rehearse for these things. Um, and, of course, uh, Sir Vidya Naipaul, though he's Trinidadian, uh, is as Brahmin as you could wish, and one should not overlook the fact. In fact, that's what I'm coming to. Uh, Rohinton Mystery, by the way, excuse me, is the Canadian in um, that's what I'm coming to, which is, which is the Indian diaspora, in effect, an extraordinary thing. Um, and I don't think anyone would want to challenge me if I said that the person who, who drew our attention to this phenomenon and, in fact, helped to constitute it was my old friend and comrade Salman Rushdie, uh, with some extraordinary works, uh, the best known, I suppose, being Midnight's Children, though I have to say it, I've always rather preferred Shane, uh, a perfect literary profile of the state of Pakistan uh, at the time, and with an extraordinary uh, backup in essays, uh, criticism, poetry, and so forth. He's, he's become, come to represent for many of us uh, the very idea of the transnational, multinational, I won't say multi-ethnic, let's just say multicultural, multilingual author. I can never believe when I'm talking to him what I know to be true, which is that his first real language as a small boy was Urdu. It seems to me almost a cause for resentment as an Englishman who tries to make his living by our language that we should have had it taken away from us <laughs> as if candy from a baby uh, by someone who was born in Bombay. Um, I have a favorite anecdote which I will, as they say, share with you about how uh, extraordinary this can be. Uh, the discovery of this annexation, I mean to say. He and I and some others were once sitting around shooting the breeze, basically, and babbling, and a latecomer to the conversation arrived from a plane trip on which he had been reduced to reading the works of Robert Ludlam. There was nothing else at the airport. It was agreed without controversy Mr. Ludlam's work was no good at all in any way. 
but it was added that the annoying thing was the pretentiousness of Mr. Ludlam's titles. You may remember um, the Iger sanction, the uh, something or other inheritance. You, you know how the Ludlam pretension goes. And it was proposed by someone, well, what would a Shakespeare play be like if it was written by Ludlam? <laughs> Our national bard was in contention. National pride, too. At this moment, I saw someone stiffen a little, as if to the challenge. Someone said, well, what would Hamlet be like if it was Ludlam? Someone said, the Elsinore vacillation. <laughs> with no more notice, with no more notice, ladies and gentlemen, than I am giving you. Challenged. Come on, big boy. You can't do that twice running. What about Macbeth? The Dunsinane deforestation. I have a fax still of, of the following morning of that conversation, which includes the kerchief implication, the Rialto sanction. Well, if you can add to it, you, you're doing very well, and that would be with a rehearsal. I'm talking, in other words, about someone who really is a master of language and of literature, and who really does represent an extraordinary fertilization of the sort that was first discussed so tentatively in such adverse circumstances during a time of war and fascism and empire in India between George Orwell and Mulk Raj Anand. And it would be almost but not quite superfluous for me to add that Salman has become in the rest of his life a great defender of the only thing that can uphold and protect and defend these precious things, literature, language, mutual transnational exchange, multiculturalism, religious pluralism, the only thing that can defend that, which is secular democracy, which is now under a terrifying attack, and from more than one quarter, in which he and I believe are worth defending and worth uh, fighting for. And so the unity, as it were, of this commitment to literature and to liberty is um, something I hope you'll have the chance to ask him about. I will have the honor of being the MC of those questions. Um, I'll close now by saying that many of you will already have been f become familiar with some of his work. Uh, not all of you perhaps will have had the chance to see him in person. If you're meeting him for the first time, I have to say I rather envy you. And with that, Saman, you're on. since he's spilled the beans about the Robert Ludlum game, um, I thought I'd tell you about the other game, which is even more annoying, um, which is a game of book titles that don't quite make it. Right? I'll give you some examples. For Whom the Bell Rings. <laughs> a Farewell to Weapons. Mr. Zhivago. <laughs> Hitch 22, <laughs> um, and so on. The story of the Forsytes. <laughs> the Goulash Archipelago. <laughs> Two days in the life of Ivan Denisovich. <laughs> um, so on. See, now, you're all going to now fall silent and not listen to me because you're going to be thinking of, of these all I... Yeah. 
the big Gatsby. <laughs> Light in July. Um, so anyway, Toby Dick. <laughs> uh, you get the point. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to read to you from from my new book, from Shalimar the Clown, for a while. And then we'll see what questions you've come up with. <coughs> um, Shalimar the Clown is a, is a book about, well, it's, a, it's part of, partly about California and partly about wartime Strasbourg, but, but at the heart of it is um, the story of, of uh, the Valley of Kashmir in the last um, 50 or 60 years a valley which has had a very hard time of it, and now, of course, as if that hard time were not hard enough, um, it is the location of a terrible calamity in the form of this earthquake. I encourage you all, please, to reach deeply into your pockets because um, the winter is coming in Kashmir, and if we don't get shelter for people there, there may be, there's certainly a couple of million people without shelter, um, and to have to spend the Himalayan winter in a tent is really not a tenable proposition and it is entirely possible that if we don't do something about this really fast more people are going to die in the aftermath of the earthquake than were killed by the earthquake which already killed it seems 100,000 people Um, anyway Kashmir before in the last half century has been the site of a, a battle between India and Pakistan which has fouled up what was once a harmonious and peace-loving place, which has often been compared to paradise, including by me. Um, Kashmir was first, I think, well, first recorded comparison.